How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you could you could be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins, brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, this is Chasing Giants, episode 84, brought to you by Biofarm.com. I'm Terry Peer with Don Higgins, and Don... Uh, you're getting awful close to your Illinois opener. Illinois and Iowa both next Friday. So uh, next time we record, I'll have hunted at least a time or two. All right, let's start talking a little bit about that. Um, uh, what have you been seeing here? Um, I'm assuming, based on some of the YouTube videos that I've seen, uh, Harvest is running a little bit earlier in some areas. Um, I've been seeing that on social media a little bit. I think a lot of it has to do with how dry uh, some areas were. What is the uh, kind of farming update around your property and your other hunting grounds? Well, there's still a lot of crops in the field, but the harvest is in full swing. I mean, uh, I think every farmer is in the field. Yeah. Um, so it's coming out, you know, quick. And the weather forecast for this coming week is no rain at all. So there's going to be a lot of acres of corn and soybeans harvested around me this this coming week i know my uh, cell camera on one of my properties in illinois showed that they they uh picked corn i believe on wednesday maybe yeah wednesday of this week so um what for big ag country what does that really mean as far as what the what the deer are going to do just coming out of kind of their fall shift um, all the velvets kind of shed what's what's going on with what's uh with the bucks right now well just this morning i had uh three new bucks show up on camera on my place that yeah i, I expected them to show up but this is the first picture i got of them and uh so so they're uh, moving towards their fall range for sure but uh, you know as far as the crops go i'm of the opinion that i would rather see it all come out early or all have a really late harvest that goes after gun season, mm-hmm. protect some of those deer in the standing crops. But if that's going to happen, it almost never does. I mean, it's really, really rare uh, around here that we still have standing crops during gun season. I just as soon get most of it out, uh, you know, before November anyway. Right. Yes, I mean, all that cover that the deer are uh, living in, you know, that gets chopped, and then especially in big ag country, um, they're searching for cover, um, you know, which could even be hedgerows, drainage ditches, that type of thing. Yeah, you know, I've got 13 cell cams out, and two weeks ago, I was hardly getting a buck picture. I mean, I'd get one here and there, and and no good bucks at all, but now I'm getting, you know, bucks every day, new bucks every day. Um, it's just these bucks that are moving back uh, into their, their fall range. So, uh, you know, when season opens on Friday, uh, it ought to be good. Yeah. What's the, 
uh, extended forecast for weather look like for you? Well, it's supposed to be dry. It looks like about a week from now there'll be a cold front come through. Um, I'm actually planning to go to Iowa for the opener. I've got uh, several cameras on various properties, some public, some private, and I'm going to gather up some of those, um, shift some cameras around. The uh, There's only really one stand that I have in Iowa that I want to hunt real early, and it looks like the wind is going to be perfect for that opening day and possibly the second day. And if that holds true, then I'm going to go a day early and, and go gather up those cameras and then hunt on uh, opening day for sure and possibly the second day in Iowa and uh, then come back to Illinois. I gotcha. Yeah, I haven't I haven't looked out that far yet to decide what I'm going to do. Um, for the people that kind of watched my social media, we've been hunting here in Kentucky for about a month. Uh, Thursday night had my, um, the buck that I'm targeting here, my shooter, underneath of me at 18 yards. It was just too dark to shoot. So uh, the only way I could see him at 18 yards was with my binoculars. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. If I think I think my situation is if if I still feel I got a good crack at this deer, I'm going to stay here and hunt until um, I don't think um, or until my chances I think go down. But um, I think I'm going to ride it out for right now. So I don't know that I'm going to come to Illinois for the opener this year. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Um... The, you know, one thing I wanted to throw out there, Terry, is I'm kind of switching gears here on you a little bit, but uh, I saw your post this week on the uh, new backpack you got. Yeah. And uh, I, I talked to you about that, you know, after you posted that and immediately ordered one and, and got it in just a couple of days. And this afternoon, I, I broke it out of the package, hadn't even opened the, the box yet. Yeah. And broke it out this afternoon and started shifting everything from my other pack to that one. And, uh, man, you are absolutely right. That is the pack for a tree stand hunter. Yeah. I've, I get, I get a little, uh, crabby sometimes when it comes and some people call me a snob, but, um, this, this pack that Osseo came out with was finally one that was designed for a tree stand hunter. And I think, I think Don, as you set in the stand and you hang this thing, you're going to, you're going to probably hang it a little bit differently than you have before and really minimize a lot of movement with this thing. But especially for you carrying, uh, sometimes a tripod or a camera arm and a camera, um, it's, it's, I don't know if you noticed, but it kind of cinches down on the sides and can get pretty small and compact or else it'll hold a lot. So I think you'll be happy with it. Well, it's definitely the the best pack that I've ever had, and yeah. I haven't even used it yet, but none of my others had really enough room in it, but the time you throw a camera arm and a video camera and a pair of binoculars and whatever in your pack, you, you don't, you're not left with much room, and it seemed like any time I wanted to go for a long hunt, all-day hunt, or even an extended hunt where I wanted to take some food along and maybe a bottle of water and stuff, well, crap, I was sticking that stuff in my jacket pockets and everything else because there just was no room left in my pack. Right. I don't think that's going to be the case with this one. Yeah, so for anybody that, that didn't see that poster, doesn't know what we're talking about, the uh, the brand that came out with this backpack is Osseo, A-I, or A-S-I-O. Uh, Joe Miles uh, was the guy who kind of designed it. 
Joe is a big buck killer. Um, so he's shot a bunch of big deer. Uh, you guys might uh, recognize him. I believe he hunted a lot and filmed a lot with Tom Miranda and then with Team 200. But he's really done a good job at trying to uh, separate what he's trying to do for the whitetail hunter. So uh, give that a look. Uh, speaking speaking of hunting, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about, because there is some absolute big, big bucks that have already been knocked down this year from some good friends of ours, right? Yeah, three in particular. Uh, first, uh, Jeff Nelson in Wisconsin, who's a, Jeff's been a real world dealer for a lot of years and, uh, he knocked over a nine and a half year old giant. Um, I forget what day it was. I think it was maybe Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, somewhere in there. Yeah. Absolute and, uh, toad. Yeah. I, I think you shared the picture. I shared it on my social media. It was such a big one. And I think you shared it on the real world page as well. I did. He, um, uh, he had a really good picture. This deer was coming into real world soybeans and he had a really good picture and where the background, you could actually see the, the border between the food plot and the, and the row crop, the row crop was completely dried down and, uh, and the food plot still had where it's changing with those four varieties of soybeans in it. And, uh, was talking about that green still left in there, how it was attracting that buck. The evening he shot it was actually the third evening that he had seen it, third hunt, where he had seen that buck come out into those real-world soybeans. And uh, finally, on the third hunt, it came close enough that he got a shot and um, got the job done. So congratulations to Jeff, for sure. Yes, sir. And then uh, that the same evening Jeff shot his, um, one of my consulting clients in Kentucky, Brandon Beachy, um, shot one as well. And Brandon and I give each other a hard time. We joke back and forth quite a bit. I mean, I talk to him on a fairly regular basis, and he sent me a uh, email said, uh, "I killed a two hundred and five inch buck tonight." And I, I didn't think he was serious. I thought he was joking, <laughs> and so I didn't hurry to call him back um, be- because I didn't think he was serious. But sure enough, he did. He shot. I think it had eighteen, nineteen points, and. Uh, had eight and a half inch base on one antler and eight and a quarter inch base on the other. Um, just a gnarly old pig of a buck and Brandon got it done. Yeah. Um, we, we, I know you say you joke around with Brandon a lot. Uh, some people may, uh, recognize Brandon Beachy's name. I think, did he get, did, did he get, uh, did he win a Lester's feet prize? I think too. in one of our raffles, I think he did actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. So, uh, I know Brandon's going to be having a, a big event in December, and we're working on our schedules right now to make sure we can get down there and try to support it. So, Brandon, if you're listening, make sure you tell that taxidermist that uh, I want to see this buck when we come down there, if we come down in December. So, congratulations, buddy. Per- very happy for you. Yeah, Brandon's another real-world dealer after uh, I did his consulting visit. I think it was three years ago. Um him and his brother Wes, uh, they have a pallet factory and, uh, they have a setup there where they sell some hunting blinds and feeders and other things. And they became a real world dealer. So, uh, Terry and I are, are working out the details with Brandon to hopefully get down there in December and, and, uh, record a, a episode of chasing giants 
do a live podcast live right down there. Yep, a live podcast down there with him and all of his buddies. So we're we're trying to make that happen for him. Yep. All right. So there's one more big buck that we heard about. Yeah, this we haven't one, seen this much one, for pictures though. No, this one's been kept a little hush hush. This is kind of an exclusive chasing giants uh update because he hasn't told it many people i don't know i don't even know if we're supposed to talk about it but we're going to (laughs) (laughs) he didn't tell us not to but uh our partner west delps went to kansas and he was out there for several days i mean he was out there about a week 11 was he out there 11 days out there 11 days I knew he'd been out there a while and he was having some close calls and then finally a couple evenings ago he got her done and um, we won't spill the beans too much and share too many details. We'll just say, uh, keep an eye on Wes's social media page in the next couple of days. Cause I'm sure you're going to see some pictures of this buck. He is an absolute bruiser. Um, Wes isn't a very big guy. He's tall, but he ain't very big. And I, I this buck looks like he's three times bigger than Wes in the body. <laughs> he's a, uh, he is an absolute beast of a buck. And, uh, you know, I got to tip my hat. We pick on Wes a lot, but this young man is absolutely tenacious when it comes to chasing big bucks. And the the amount of work that he put in to uh, kind of start this, he shot it in the state of Kansas, uh, not only to get ready to hunt out there this uh, um, early season or preseason, getting getting the farm ready, uh, but his commitment to go out there and ride out these cold fronts, um, I don't know that his wife's going to let him hunt the month of October after being gone 11 days, but at least he won't have to go to, back to Kansas in November. Yeah. Yeah, he can stay home now. But congratulations, Wes. Really happy for you. I FaceTimed him actually the morning after because, uh, you know, he didn't recover. He, he sent us pictures that night after he uh, – he recovered it, but I FaceTimed him the next day and he was actually driving to our friend Aaron Morgan's house to get, uh, uh, photos done with the buck. So, uh, um, those of you who have seen some of real world's marketing collateral over the years, Aaron Morgan's done a lot of it. One of the best in the business and I uh, can't wait to see those pictures that Aaron took. Um, Aaron is, uh, Aaron does a lot of work for hunt masters and, couple different other things uh he works with josh pretzer and publishing some videos but very very talented guy i'm sure that the pictures will be phenomenal no doubt about it i'm sure aaron will do a great job but can't wait to see him but hey while we're throwing names around terry i got a name i needed to throw out there all right um I, i need to shout out to one of our super fans did you know we had a super fan i did not we do this young man is named Derek Hagen from Clay City, Illinois. Okay. And it just so happens that Derek's brother and my brother work together. Okay. And somehow it came up about me and the podcast and this and that. And I was told that Derek is a super fan and that we need to give him a shout out. So, Derek, uh, appreciate your support and hope you have a great season. I hope we get to meet you sometime, Derek. I tell you what, we um – uh, Don, we the reason that some people are going to be listening to this podcast late tonight is uh, we had a softball tournament up in Ohio today and played a bunch of games, and uh, the girls started off pretty slow, but they ended up turning it around and made it to the championship game. 
I can't even remember which game it was, Don, but I'm out coaching the bases. And, and those of you who have been to these big complexes before, you know, you got like this center building with four uh, softball fields kind of around it in a, in a big circle. So I'm sitting there on the base pass trying to coach the game, and out of the corner of my eye on another field, I see this guy walking through the uh, around the back of the bleachers with a Chasing Giants shirt on today. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I have, if you're listening and you're at Harrison, Ohio at a softball tournament today and you had a Chasing Giants hat on, sorry I didn't know. I couldn't walk off the field to go over and say hi, but thanks for your support. But it's kind of funny when you're in public places now, uh, people's, you see people with a real-world shirt on or with a Chasing Giants shirt on. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, we appreciate everybody's support. Seeing some of these shirts pop up on social media from time to time, too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think we, we got some good ideas for some new shirts. I think uh, I think there's going to be one maybe about something about taking out the garbage, and we're probably going to do one about buck factories, but I'm, I'm going to keep that a little quiet for right now. But we should have some new ideas here coming very soon on T-shirts. So um, how, yep. how much um, – uh, kind of response have you gotten for the master class, especially the one with Dr. Strickland that's going to be at it? Well, the, he's going to be at the first two, uh, Bronson is, and uh, those two are definitely going to sell out first. They'll be the first two to sell out, but uh, the response has been fantastic. In fact, yesterday when I got the mail, uh, there were some deposits, uh, checks that have been sent to me, and I opened up two letters back-to-back, and the first one, had a check uh, deposit for eight people for one class. And the very next check had a deposit for two people for the same class. So there's 10 people. We filled up half the class um, in back-to-back checks in one day. So, uh, yeah, last year we totally sold out um, or filled up all the available spaces in the master classes before Christmas. And I'm guessing that'll probably happen again this year. So if you're interested, don't drag your feet. I know a lot of people contacted me after I'd sold out and uh, just want to make sure everybody has a chance to uh, get that deposit in if you want to come. Yeah, and the thing people have to realize, too, is even though Don and I have a little bit more flexible schedule, bringing Dr. Strickland in is is locked in. So it's not like that we're going to be able to you know, throw another date in due to the demand. Those those classes are locked down. If you miss this opportunity, you're probably going to miss it. So don't wait. Yep. So why don't why don't uh, we'll do it again later in the podcast? But why don't you give some instructions, especially for our Amish friends listening on MTech? Uh, you guys grab a pen if you're interested in uh, the master class, either the one with Doctor Strickland. There's two of those. And then there's other dates with Just Dawn. Um, why don't you go over those dates one more time and give them the address of where they need to send their deposit. Okay, the, the two classes with Dr. Strickland are March 10th and 12th. Um, those are $2,000 per, per, per student. And then there's four other classes, March 17th, 19th, 24th, and 26th. Those are $1,500 per person. Uh, you can mail those checks to Higgins Outdoors, um, 1459 North 3500 East Road. That's in Gaze, Illinois, G-A-Y-S, Illinois, 61928. 
So well, we're running uh, right on time tonight. Um, I, I got to ask, uh, before we go on to the best and worst, I want to circle back to what you said you might be going to hunt Iowa for, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. So you're, if, if this weather holds true for your trip to Iowa and we see kind of this unfold, this is about as real-world hunting as you can get, um, walk us through what you're – you said you are going to pull some cameras and maybe move some, move some stuff, but what is the actual objective for your Iowa trip? Has that changed? Do you have a target, or are you going to ride it out and see what shows up with these shifts? Well, to be honest, this first trip um, is more to reco- retrieve some trail cameras as much as anything because uh, every trail camera I got is out in the woods right now, and there's three in Iowa that are on properties I know I'm not going to hunt, uh, so, so I'm going to go get pull. those three right, and pull those cameras. Okay. And uh, the, the forecasted wind direction is, is going to be perfect for the one stand that I would hunt early. Okay. So uh, I'll probably hunt there at least a day and if the wind holds true. If it doesn't, I'm just going to come back home. I'm just going to get those cameras and come home. But if the wind holds true where I can hunt that one stand, I will. And uh, and then stay as long as the wind is good for that stand. And then I'll come home and uh, start hunting Illinois. But as far as the bucks I'll hunt there, I, I think probably the first buck that I know is over 170 I'm going to shoot. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I do not have a single picture of a buck over 170 yet okay. in, in the on the properties I'm going to be hunting. Um, I'm fairly confident that there will be some at least one show up, and uh, kind of putting my eggs all in one basket or a couple of different properties right there in the same neighborhood. So we'll is just have to see origi- what happens. Is this the original property that you actually went out there for? It is. <laughs> okay. So even though you don't have pictures, you have some past history from the locals there about some good ones that have been there year after year. So hopefully something changes and one shows up there for you. I'm pretty confident there'll be a, at least a 170 buck. Um, he may not stay on the property a lot, but I think he'll at least pass through the property and uh, that's about all I can ask for. So, I, so don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much more the average hunter could relate to that. I mean, you you put in for your Iowa tag without really having a, a target buck and going out there and riding it out. So it's going to be really neat to watch that unfold. Um, as far as Illinois goes, um, what's kind of the game plan for Illinois here, um, assuming you go to Iowa, then come back after this front? Well, there's, uh, you know, I, I described, I think it was the last episode that, all the bucks over 150 inches I got. And I said, I had five bucks over 170. Four of them I know are only four years old though. And I'm not going to shoot any of those because those are giants a year or two from now or potential giants a year or two from now. But there is one buck that is, he's every bit of 170. I, I don't know that he'll hit 180, but he's definitely over 170. And, and I know he's at least five and a half years old. If I get a chance to, to shoot that buck, I will. Yeah. Um, he's my primary target buck right now. There's, there's another one or two that are kind of borderline. Um, I need to get a better look at them. I don't have real good pictures of them, so I didn't count those as 170 inch bucks. Yeah. Uh, but 
Because really, coming out of last year, you thought that a, a one specific buck was going to put on inches, and he actually went the opposite direction. So if you would have asked you what your plan was, the end, actually, you talked openly and showed video of him in, in the seminars about a target right. for this year, but he just didn't put on what he wanted, what you wanted him to. So uh, we, you're kind of re uh, reevaluating that now. You know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me privately and say, "Oh, we hear you on the podcast, but are you being serious? You really don't have a big buck?" Because I guess everybody thinks I've always got a big buck to chase. And I'm being 100 percent serious. If this season will be a success, if I shoot one buck over 170 inches. This and whether it's in Iowa or Illinois, this season will be a success in my eyes. And you're prepared not to shoot a buck. <laughs> you're not going to fill it. You're not going to fill a tag just to fill a tag, right? Yeah, we. I seen, mean, I may shoot some coal bucks late in the season. I'm not going to shoot a coal buck early, but right. But I mean, the year after you shot Smokey and Trump, the following year of that, you did not shoot a buck. That's right. I didn't. So. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Um, you know, we talked last week about your buck inventory, and I know a lot of people kind of, you know, took them by surprise. Um, we we got a text message from Wes today saying that I guess he had some, <laughs> some uh, boring time sitting in Kansas. He started doing some inventory and comparison data. It's not my place to, to talk about the number of cameras and the number of bucks he had, but the thing that the thing that really stuck out to me after your inventory and what Buck or Wes said about his is the number of properties that you're all running cameras on. And I think that the average hunter will kind of say, there's no way uh, someone could ever have that many bucks on camera or tracking that many bucks. They still just do not have any real understanding of the amount of properties that you're putting cameras on. And some of them are just in fence rows in, in a big field. Some of them might be just a drainage ditch or a small woodlot. You know, the average guy is probably running uh, cameras on one or two pieces of property that they have access to hunt. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of bucks that you're mentioning in your inventory, but it's also a lot of doors that you've knocked on. You know, people think that you're you got all these bucks on your home farm. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. Most of them are not, and some of these properties are even public land yep. places. So, um, I I say all the time, anybody could do what I'm doing. It's not, I'm not doing anything special. It's just that uh, I go at it a lot harder than most deer hunters. So, and that's that's, that's why that's why I referenced Wes is because, you know, he doesn't have connections all over the country. Like even you do, you know, he's, he's starting to do consulting work, but that young man works his tail off to get all around, you know, a few States to try to lock up property. And some of them don't pan out. Uh, I think he came down here to hunt Kentucky one time and got up in a tree stand and, started glassing and I think there was like four hunters hunting over the same alfalfa field or something like that. So it's not <laughs> like it always works out, but, uh, that young man works his tail off to find properties. And, you know, like I said, it's not my place to say how many cameras and how many bucks he's got inventory, but it's a big number. Um, it's just the amount of work and time he's putting in to, to gain access to properties. Um, you know, that's how you're getting the choices of so many big bucks is you're covering so many, so much ground. People don't understand that. 
Well, and they'll say, you know, well, I, I got a full-time job. I can't do that. I don't have the time to do that. Well, you know, I, I worked for, you know, I'm 58 years old. I've, I've been working my entire life too. And it's just, I don't know anything else. You know, I'm not, you know, going fishing in the summer. I'm not golfing. I'm not uh, coaching softball. And there's just a lot of other <laughs> things that I just, for one thing, coaching softball wouldn't fit my personality. Um, I'm kind of a, believe it or not, quieter guy that just as soon be alone out in the woods checking trail cameras or something, you know, so yeah, it's, it's kind of fits my personality. It's a choice we make, you know, and, you know, I, I sit here and I'm probably not even going to go hunting the next two Saturdays. Um, you know, we, we're all in a different place and I'm not going to miss an opportunity to spend time and support my kids. Um, I have a sophomore a son and a freshman daughter um, I love to hunt. I I can go after bucks today and and um, a couple farms across two states. But um, I'm just at the point when my oldest daughter left and went to school. It hit off to college. It hit really hard. I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm 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 putting my priority where it needs to be right now. And I'm still going to hunt a lot. Don't get me wrong, but um, but my my focus is on my kids. My point to all these listeners, though, is as is, is you're working and trying to uh, navigate your inventory, you got to realize the amount of properties that, that you and Wes were covering. So that's that's how these numbers are getting uh, so so high. So um, I think right now, if you're all right, let's move on to the best and worst of the week, if you got a couple for today. Oh, I got a couple. You, you know me, Terry. I can find something to... Well, maybe you'll get one, maybe you'll sure. get one of us wound up. It's been a, it's been a been a little uh, lame so far. Neither one of us have gotten off on a tangent yet. Yeah, I think people like it when we do that. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we, I, we get a lot of comments when we not, go off on stuff. We're never going to please everybody. We're never going to make everybody mad. So it, we're we're who we are. If people don't want to listen, yep. they don't have to. Well, the best thing I've seen this week, I actually just seen it today. Um, Ted Nugent made a speech on September 20th at front of a group in uh, Michigan. I don't know if you've seen that, Terry, but I have uh, not. He, he was talking about the current state of affairs in this country. And, uh, I mean, he just nailed it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was some black lives matter supporter that got up and, well, basically Ted challenged anybody in the crowd to debate him. <laughs> this Black Lives Matter supporter gets up and Ted hands him the mic and gives the guy a chance to speak. And and basically, you know, Ted kind of blew away his argument. And then they, uh, another black guy gets up there that had a totally opposite view of the first one. And, and the crowd cheered him on. But uh, uh, Ted just told it like it was. And sometimes he's a, a little bit too vulgar for, for my preference. But... Uh, if you look at what he's saying, for forget how he delivered the message, but listen to the message itself. Um, he's usually right on the money, and you know his stand on a, a lot of issues, and he certainly was in, in this case. I remember the night that Trump got elected, watching the video of him the next morning because he thought it was done and went to bed. And assumed that Trump had lost, and and he made a video the next morning when he woke up. I'll, I'll never forget that. It was it was hysterical. Uh, he had kind of given up a hope 
and then woke up the next morning with Trump as the president. It was it was a classic. So <laughs> yeah, he's he's a little bit different character, but I do give him credit. He um he he does uh, not filter uh, uh what what his beliefs are. So uh, I credit him for that. Yeah, uh, I wish more people used their platform for uh, you know speaking the truth, and he does do that. He could clean it up a little bit for me, but uh, I can't fault him on the message at all. All right, so um, what's the worst of the week? Boy, you're, you're not going to believe this one, but i got to go back to these mechanical broadheads here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, you probably now? didn't see this. Um, somebody sent me a link. Um, one of our listeners sent me a link. Um, he's He was guiding a mule deer hunter out west, and they, they stalked up on this mule deer buck, and the guy cuts loose with his arrow and shoots and misses this mule deer and uh the guy that sent me that the video was actually the guy taking the video footage and well the guy pulls out the deer didn't spook he pulls out a second arrow and uh and shoots it and misses again by a good little bit um well they go back and it spooks the deer this time but they go back and they, they look at the footage and they slowed it down frame by frame and what was happening is this guy's mechanical broadheads were deploying upon release. Okay. So they froze this arrow in the air. You can see the mule deer and you can see this arrow lobbing out towards this mule deer. But these two great big winged blades are sticking out to the side of that arrow. The, the blade had already opened before impact and uh, was you know throwing it off. And he missed twice because of of using mechanical heads. And then, um, I'm not going to mention anybody's name, but I guarantee you he's listening to this. Um, I think he was on the text last night. Wasn't you, Terry? Did you get that text from one of our buddies about, uh, hitting a buck with a mechanical and losing it? Didn't even hurt the buck. Yeah. So, uh, We've got a new convert uh, to fixed blade heads. I ain't even going to say what state the, this gentleman's from, but uh, he's listening to all these rants, and now he's a believer, but he had to hit and lose a buck before he became a believer. And, you know, it all boils down to one thing. It's a chance that don't need to be taken. And, uh, you know, I <laughs> we've had this standing offer for somebody to come on and debate. Um about fixed versus mechanicals and nobody's up to the challenge yet. Um, or that the opportunity still there, you know, if somebody wants to step up and debate, but when I see this issue come up on social media, what I hear, what I see time after time after time is people will say it's about shop placement. It's about shop placement. It's about shop placement. Yeah. Well, no kidding. If shop placement's good, a, a field point's going to kill it there. The, the issue is that as bow hunters, there's not a single one of us that hits exactly where we want to every time. And that's where it becomes an issue is when you don't hit exactly where you're aiming at, that fixed blade is going to give you a whole lot better chance to recover that deer than a mechanical. And I, I, I still think that things ought to be outlawed. Um, I, I'm not looking down on anybody that's using them. This is just my opinion. If you want to use them, that's your business, but I'm telling you, the day's coming when you're going to lose a buck just because of your your choice of broadhead. And uh, I, I really do believe they should be outlawed. 
Maybe we should have a T-shirt that has a trash can filled with arrows with mechanical broadheads in it. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. Yeah, we might have to. We might have to think of that. Ah, yeah. I mean, we can go on rants and talk about it. You know, my my fear is that there's just still a lot of people that hasn't figured out the hard way yet. Luckily, luckily, I I never lost one because of it, but I had some bad experiences with it. Uh, you were just smarter than me and never tried it in the first place. So, well, uh, I seen a buck that you shot with one on my place, and it, it looked like somebody took a five gallon bucket of blood and just started throwing. <laughs> I mean, and he didn't go ten yards. Yeah, um, crashed into a fence and got hung up and didn't live a few seconds. But it doesn't always happen like that, right? So you know, I mean, they're great when they're they're great when they're great. If that makes sense. Um, but they're not very good when it's not perfect. And, um, yeah, people are just going to have to learn from themselves. I mean, like I said, listening to a guy like, uh, Ron Slifer that's in the business to track wounded deer, um, you know, that's really what made up my mind, but you know, teach their own, um, people got to make that decision and live with the repercussions either way. Um, and before the haters, you know, go on their little rant. So I want to state that again, that I've had numerous people hunt on my farm with me using mechanical heads. And I never said a word to them. I respect their, their choice. You know, this is a free country. And if they want to choose to use them, that's fine. I just think that, uh, you know, as someone with a platform in the industry, I, I need to do what I can to keep people from losing deer. Yep. And, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that wasn't as bad as what I thought it was when you first started to mention mechanical broadheads, but uh, <laughs> but we'll move on to the buyafarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, this week's featured property is a seven-acre property in Alexander County, Illinois, with a cabin on it. Um, this is an area that's right there in Shawnee National Forest, so there's all kinds of public hunting all around where this cabin is at. And um, this cabin would make a good base camp for you know a group that's hunting the forest, Shawnee National Forest. Um, and the price of this thing is unbelievable. It's only like fifty uh, some thousand dollars I've seen on the website, and it's really a, a pretty nice cabin. And you know everything goes, everything, all the personal property that's there goes. There's a new air conditioner unit in the at the at the cabin. There's a, a place for a camper hookup, a twenty amp service for camper hookup. There's city water, septic, and electric, and all that. I mean, it'd make a great weekend getaway or like I said, a base camp for hunting and with the so much available public hunting with the Shawnee National Forest nearby, um, you know, this would be a great place for some buddies to go together and, and uh, you know, have a place to, to have a base camp. It's only, uh, what is it? It's just, it's a few miles from Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I mean, it's like 15 minutes from Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Uh, it's near McClure, Illinois. Um, and taxes on the place are only $638, but if you're interested, you'd call a biofarm agent, Jamie Keller and Jamie's phone number is 618-713-7677. And she'd be glad to 
show you this property in Alexander County. All right, fantastic. And everybody, um, everybody's heard at least the people around Illinois of the Shawnee National Forest. Um, you know, it's odd that Pike County gets the rave reviews it does, but not many people really talk about the Shawnee National Forest. But um, if you gave me the choice, I know where I would be. Well, and the Shawnee is thousands and thousands of acres of public hunting, and you know it's a good place for especially younger guys that are in good shape and don't mind walking in to get away from the crowd. Because I mean, there are huge chunks of of area where you could get back away from people, and you know you could hunt there for a week and not see a soul. Right. Well, so, uh, here's a cabin for you to stay in. All right. Okay, well, thanks to Buy Farm for their support of the podcast. Please go follow their social media, and if you're looking for a property for recreation, farming, or other needs, please visit, visit buyafarm.com. So moving on to our uh, questions, uh, listener-submitted questions segment tonight. Um, I assume you got a couple good ones picked out. Yeah, I try to, uh, you know, mix up the topics, so uh, I got three more submitted questions uh, tonight and kind of cover a wide range of topics. Okay. The first one comes from Kyle Bliss from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Kyle says, Don, I love listening to your podcast. I was listening to your latest podcast while traveling to work. You were saying how many bucks you have on camera over 150 inches. You mentioned you only have a handful over 170. and Out of those, only one of them you would shoot. Later that podcast, you said you had an eight-year-old buck that actually lost some size this year. You said it went from 170s to 160s. If that buck is on its down, on its down from its prime, why don't you consider that buck one you would shoot? I would think that would be a for sure shooter in a big buck management plan. <laughs> that buck's gonna Thank get you shot. For all your advice. <laughs> That buck's going to get shot, hopefully. <laughs> well, Kyle, the reason that, – that buck's eight and a half years old. And uh, just because he went backwards in, in antler this year does not mean that he can't bounce back a year. Now, I'll put it this way. I'm going to give him one more chance. I'm not going to shoot him this year. He may get shot by a neighbor or something. But he's not going to get shot on my farm this year. However, next year he'd be nine and a half years old. He's getting shot by somebody. <laughs> if, he, if he's alive a year from now, he is getting shot. But I, I know of a buck in Clark County, um, not far from where you hunt, Terry, that he grew his biggest rack at nine and a half years old. Every, and uh, Every one of them is different. Yep. He ended up scoring at nine years old. He, he ended up scoring 214 inches, and he had never been over 200 before that. Um, so yeah, everyone is different. You never know when they're going to peak out. Um, this buck should have been shot last year, but this buck typically would come to my farm in, in mid October. And last year he did not show up here until December. The first picture I got of him, I think was December 6th. But when December rolled around, I was on the road, uh, doing consulting visits. And by the time I checked my cameras and seen the buck was here, it was around Christmas time or so, and uh, he just didn't get shot. Uh, so, you know, that's the reason he got to live this year. But to put it this way, if he's alive next year, no matter what he scores, somebody's going to shoot him. Yep. So. <clears throat> uh, 
Okay, we'll move on to the next one. The next uh, question comes from Colton Bailey from Louisville, Illinois. Not too far from here. All right. A little bit south of Effingham. Colton says, Don, I run a lot of cameras and use them similar to you with the way of organizing the pictures based on location and logging as much intel as I can from them year to year. I've been blessed to shoot some great deer over the years with the help of that intel. Over the years, I've also been also seen bucks repeatedly show up to the same places around the same time like you talk about. On a property I only have hunted for one year, I got a picture of a buck pushing a doe around Thanksgiving. Other than that photo, I have never seen the buck in or have or more cameras on this location from September to February. Have you ever had a deer with that little intel, and is one picture enough to persuade you to sit on that location for a few days to see if he comes through like last year, or is that a waste of time? He was a great deer then, and I honestly am not even sure he survived, so wasting a few November sits for one picture seems silly to me. What are your thoughts? Well, Colton, it really all depends on what else I've got to hunt. Um, like a situation like this year, um, yeah, if I don't have anything better to chase, I would spend some time doing it. However, if, if I have better options, I'm going to go, you know, where my odds are better. So it really comes down, um, you know, to, to the situation in that specific season. Uh, typically, I like, of course, I like a lot more intel than one picture. Um, I don't think that I've ever killed a buck. I, I'm trying to think back. I don't think I've ever killed a buck just because I had one picture of him. However, I can think of several bucks right off the top of my head that I got one picture of and never got another photo of, them, including bucks on my farm. I've had bucks show up here, and it's like they're just passing through one night get get their picture one time and then they're gone and i got enough cameras on this place if they stayed a day or two i'd get more pictures than one um so i have had bucks um you know that i get one picture of and never get another picture but i've never killed one and i've really never targeted one huh. so um and i hope that answers your question interesting yeah it really yep. depends on what his other choices are optimize your opportunity absolutely Okay. All right. The last question. Moving right through these. The last one comes from Jonathan Joyce from Fredonia or Fredonia, Kentucky. Is that close to you, Terry? I'm not sure where it is. While you're talking, I'm going to Google it. Okay. So Jonathan asks, I says, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. This week on social media, I saw a Kentucky deer killed that they said would score over 200 inches. When looking at the deer, one side looked like your standard two to three year old five by five, and the other side was a non-typical mess. What is your management on deer with odd looking racks like that? I've heard injuries can cause it to look like this, but does that transfer down through genetics? Do you try to eliminate some of these offset rack deer out of your herd? Uh, this week's opening day, heading to Iowa. Um, yes, I am heading to Iowa. He's asking the question if I'm heading to Iowa on opening day. All right. uh, yes, I am, Jonathan. But to get back to your question, the the buck that you're talking about, I'm almost sure I've seen a picture of the deer. I'm almost sure I know exactly what buck you're talking about. 
And you're exactly right. He had a five-point side on one side that did not look all that impressive, uh, at least from the photo i seen. It looked like about a two-year-old deer, maybe three at best, but the other side was just a, a gnarled-up mess, and, and it did look like it was caused by an injury at the pedicle. Um, as far as uh, that having a um, – let's see. Does that transfer down through genetics? No, it does not. And, and to try to come up with uh, an analogy in, in human terms, let's say uh, – I don't know, uh, a man was in some kind of accident and got his arm cut off. You know, his kids are going to have two arms. Um, lo- losing an arm to a, an injury like that is not going to, is not a genetic thing whatsoever. And it's the same way with an injury to an antler. Uh, just because a buck injures his antler, his sons are not going to have, you know, messed up antlers. Um, that, that's not a genetic thing at all. So, um, uh, what's your management on deer with odd-looking racks like that? Well, it depends. If it's an injury, I don't pay too much attention to it. But I have seen situations where, well, for instance, on this farm, there was a couple of different bucks a few years back um, that on one side of the rack is on, I think it was would have been the, the right side on both of them. They just had a spike. And one of them was a three-year-old and the other one was a two-year-old the very same year. And I ended up shooting a three-year-old in the late season. In fact, the the skull of that deer is in my shed where we hold the master course. So uh, anybody that's been to the master course has probably seen that uh, that skull there hanging in my shed with the big spike on one side. I was pretty sure that was a genetic uh, trait because usually the injury is around the, the base of the antler. Um, sometimes when they shed, you know, they might lose a piece of skull with it. I think... Most deer hunters have probably seen a shed antler that has a piece of skull attached to it down at the base. Yep. And that will call, cause that base of that antler um, to grow out and do weird things the following year. And, and a lot of times that just carries on through for the life of that buck. But, uh, you know, if, if it's a genetic thing, with like the spike bucks or the one side spikes, like I was talking about, yep. I try to eliminate them. Um, if it's an injury, I don't worry too much about it. So I hope that answers your question. Yep. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, we were just talking about this one deer that, um, you're not going to shoot this coming year. You know, you, you mentioned why he did not get shot last year, but he, the year before that he was injured, you know, his, his rack was messed up. We don't know really what happened to him. Um, but you know, two years ago, uh, he was going to be a target buck and his antlers were all jacked up. Right. And, and you know, Terry, I think I do know what happened there. Um, okay. this is, I hope whenever, whoever gets this buck shot, whether it's me or somebody else, I hope it's done on video because I'd really like to do a documentary on this buck and he'll be nine and a half years old next year. Um, but I got trail camera pictures going back to, I think when he was two and a half, but you're right. The year before, that buck had a rack that was just a mess. But the the winter before that, that buck had a really bad case of the scours or diarrhea. And uh, when I'd get trail camera pictures of him, that buck's rear end was just caked with crap. Huh. And uh, I think most of the time, those scours in deer is a bacterial issue. 
whether it be uh, well the three main bacteria that affect uh, deer are E. coli, Clostridium, and Fusobacterias. And uh, one of the signs that a deer's got a bacterial problem is you know the scours or the runs. And that buck had that that winter uh, really bad. And in fact, I didn't know that he would even survive. Well, then the next summer, um, he was growing a rack that wasn't quite as nice as it had been the year before. But while that rack was in velvet, he broke off three times. And uh, I don't know if, if, you know, that the bacterial issue caused his antlers. And even though they were in velvet to be weaker than they would have been otherwise or what. But anyway... Yeah. A combination of the 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 scours and the breaking off the three tines. And I've got pictures of him in velvet when those tines were were broke, but they were like hanging to the side, and they eventually broke off. Gotcha. So um, I'm really hoping one of us gets that buck shot next year, and, and we can do a, a documentary video and show the trail camera pictures through the years, show that buck with the the scours on his rear, and how he broke that that rack and in velvet and then he came back and had a nice rack the following year but he didn't show up when he normally did and then this year he went backwards by about 15 inches and um it's going to be a great story if we can get just get killed on video he's had a very up and down life let's just leave it at that because um uh, the the year even before uh before he got sick when he was an up-and-comer he was a dandy of a buck he would have been over 160 then Oh yeah, I know he ran yeah. underneath of me twice, and I got really good cell phone pictures of him running back and forth. Um, so yeah, that's that's going to be a cool story when it finally closes. He's been around for a long time. I think uh, Kyle Harmon was hunting here with his wife Jen. Oh, what was it, three or four years ago? Yeah, and they got him. video footage of him. So th- there's some video footage of him, and I've got a lot of video footage of him. I mean, I've, I've footage of him feeding in the real world soybeans in the late season. Um, so it'll be a great story. I'm hoping we can get him killed on video. All right. Well, that's fantastic. So um, uh, real quick before we uh, before we start closing up. Um, I have been getting a lot of messages from my Kentucky friends here. Um, I don't know if Don, if you've heard, but they've they've shut down uh, all of the feeding and um, now they're making mandatory check-ins. I guess the DNR in Kentucky is having a knee-jerk reaction to CWD down in a couple counties in, in Kentucky, so it's hard to tell what the state's uh, getting ready to getting ready to do. But yes, I'm, I am getting everyone's messages. Um, Really nothing I can do about it. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to start seeing probably some more legislation and stuff put in for the state of Kentucky um, as we start navigating it. So I think it's uh, going back to what you said a couple of weeks ago. It's really a political disease more than anything else. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty sad, really, that uh, that that's the, the answer they can come up with. I mean, come on. Is, is stopping supplemental feeding really going to halt the spread of CWD. I mean, if deer's got it, deer's got it. They're going to go and they're all going to pee in the same scrape. They're going to stick their nose in it. Then they're all going to chew on the same licking branch. And yet we're worried about a feeder. It just, I don't know. 
political. Yep. So um, I do have one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, the Lester's Feet Foundation was able to connect with a family in um, in Michigan this this last week. Um, they have a newborn baby um, that was born uh, with liver cancer. And uh, shortly after her birth, they did do a major procedure to um, remove a tumor and part of her liver. Uh, believe it or not, the doctors, what I learned through the, all this is uh, the liver will regenerate uh, a little bit. So uh, the surgery to remove that tumor and part of her liver was successful. But the little baby had a stroke shortly after, a couple of days afterwards. So the the family is still to navigating a little bit of that. The mom works at a bank. The dad is a farmer, and as you can imagine, this is the wrong time of the year to uh, not be able to work when you're a farmer. So we made a connection with this family through one of our listeners, and we're able to jump in and help them in the short term with some financial obligations so that they can take care of that newborn baby. They are home now. Um, trying to navigate a little bit coming out of the stroke and having a couple seizures and that type of thing. So uh, please keep them in their prayers. But the biggest message here, people, is all of these families that we've been able to help through the Lester's Feet Foundation are part of the Chasing Giants family. So this is all of you guys who donated and bought these raffle tickets now coming full circle and saying, hey, there's this family in our community or this there's this family that my friends know and can can make the connection with us where we can go in and help them so we have you guys to thank for jumping in and making these introductions with these families and uh, we hope that this is just an extension of your all's generosity and and giving um, to help these families as they go through but uh, we we have I think six different families right now that we're helping Um, so there's a lot of hurting kids um, if you hear of one of these, please send me a message so we can reach out to them and let them know. But it's pretty special that we can all join together and uh, help these kiddos. Yeah, and on the topic of Lester's feet, uh, I know you've heard from some people too, Terry, but I've got all kinds of people contacting me or have contacted me in regards to making donations to next year's raffle. Yes, sir. And uh, I just say, folks, hold hold on. Don't don't get the cart ahead of the horse. We're, def- we're definitely interested in hearing from you. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's, it'll be next year. Keep well, those ideas. Uh, don't don't give up on them. Yeah. Uh, but the, the time's not now. But the time is coming when we're going to expect uh, or or ask you to to help us again. And and I think we'll just blow away what we did this year. And when we do, we can help that many more people. And trust me, folks, Don Don gets as aggressive. I mean, he when he's ready to go, he's ready to go. Um, but I just I have to be honest with people until we can fully we we have a awesome uh, a tax and um, nonprofit attorney in Lexington, Kentucky, working on our case with the federal government, with the IRS, um, but it really complicates things if we're not fully nonprofit approved by the IRS. So, so we've been we've been doing I spent probably two days last week working with them on paperwork to uh, get our incorporation. We have to become incorporated first, then we have to go into nonprofit mode. But believe it or not, one of our listeners in New York, New York State, 
listens to the podcast, reached out to me and said, this is what I do for a living, but I'm in New York. You need help in Kentucky. Put us in touch with this lady in Lexington. And she's just knocking it out of the park. And, uh, you know, he called and said, I can't support the uh, uh, with much with the raffle, but I'm paying your lawyer fees to get it set up. So one of our listeners actually stepped up and is, is paying our lawyer fees to get this done. But it's a long way of saying um, we're going to push as fast as we can to navigate all of this so that we can do another raffle, but we really need to get this knocked out and done first uh, so we don't have as many hoops to jump through when it comes time to do another raffle. So I hope that makes sense. Um, but, you know, we want to we want to offer like a, a free trip to the master class as part of the prizes on it. Um, so there's a lot of things that we want to offer to the listeners to be part of, but um, we just we got to knock this out first. I'll just throw a little teaser out there, Terry. I haven't even told you this yet. And I won't say nothing here on the podcast, but the grand prize next year could be something way bigger than hunting on my farm. Way so, bigger. Way bigger. So we're, so, you know, Don, Don, I, I hope I can speak for you, but it's it's been more of a blessing to us to see God work in all of this with our little platform and what started of this podcast um, that's my biggest takeaway that we've done with this little project we've started. I mean, good grief, there's 380-some thousand people that have downloaded this podcast, which is phenomenal. That's great. We've met a lot of great sponsors and a lot of great supporters and a lot of great listeners. But the fact that we were able to turn something that we talk about deer hunting and get on political rants every week into something that we can help families, that's that's pretty awesome. It is. Absolutely. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. If you want to um, close this out and take us with sponsors or say anything else, I'm I'm done for the night. I'm tired. I need to go take a shower. I got ball field dirt all over me still. <laughs> well, the only thing I got to say is there's a lot of seasons going to open here Friday, October 1st. I know Illinois and Iowa are too, but that's, that's just two of many. So I uh, hope everyone has a safe and successful season. And, uh, keep tuning in we appreciate your support all right right, we want to thank our sponsors buyafarm.com 360 hunting blinds real world wildlife products matthews archery lone wolf stands wildlifefarming.com quiet cat vortex optics and vengeance camo have a great season everyone